Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We look at 2 Kings chapter 4 together. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared Yahweh. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And one is full? When one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. But let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there, and he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, O my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her, and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and Yahweh has hidden it from me and has not told me. And then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. 
if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As Yahweh lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to Yahweh. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine, and gathered it from his lap full of wild gourds, and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men, that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men, that they may eat. For thus says Yahweh, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate, and had some left according to the word of Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I was keeping count on my hand as we rolled through that chapter. That was five miracles that we see Elisha perform in the text. So we'll handle them together here. We're going to go just back through in order. The first miracle is performed for this widow. So one of the other prophets, one of the sons of the prophets in training uh, to, to be a prophet, dies, leaving behind his wife and two sons. And the problem is they were in debt, and a creditor has come. He wants his money. There is no money, so he's going to take the children as slaves. And so she panics, and she runs to Elisha, and he asks how he can help. What shall I do for you? The miracle here is that he is going to multiply oil. So that's our first miracle. She has nothing but oil. So he tells her to borrow vessels, empty vessels from all of her neighbors, as many vessels as she can, bring them into the house, shut the door behind her. The shutting of the door, it either prevents others from witnessing the miracle or perhaps helps to limit her greed. Like at this point, she has no idea what's happening. And there really is not an opportunity for her to get greedy on this. But had the door been open? the boys could have kept going for more vessels. 
So maybe that's a possibility here. I'm not sure. The shutting of the door has a theme in this chapter, though, doesn't it? It comes up multiple times. After the vessels run out, as she's pouring oil into one vessel after another, her oil multiplying, when the vessels run out, the oil stops. There's no more multiplication of the oil. The miracle has ceased. She still doesn't, at that point, know what to do. So she goes to Elisha again. He instructs her, sell it in the market, and what is left over, so that'll pay your debts. What is left over is for her to take care of her kids. That's our first miracle. Then Elisha goes off to Shunem, which is a few miles away from Jezreel, uh, a little west of the top of the Jordan River on a map. And there, there's a wealthy woman and her husband, and she likes to take care of the prophet. She cares for Elisha. And this is good, right? To care for the, the servant of, of Yahweh, the one who is going to speak his word to the people. Now, there's a connection in the New Testament with this. Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus sends out the twelve, you hear him teach them that if they go into a house and they are received in that house, that they are to leave their peace upon it. But if they're not received in that house, they are to shake even the dust off of their feet as they leave that town because it is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Now, what is the peace that they would leave upon the house? Well, it's the blessing of Jesus himself that they get to hear the gospel because those apostles, those disciples, as they stay in that house for you know a day or a week or whatever it is, they're going to teach about Jesus. They're going to share the good news of salvation that comes through Christ. And so, when you care for a servant of the Lord, the Lord, in turn, does care for and bless you. And we see that several times in Scripture. I, you know, we can't make a, a rule out of that to say, if you care for your pastor today, the Lord is going to shower X, Y, and Z blessings upon you. We don't know that. But we do know that within the church, as we care for one another, that the Lord is with us and that the Lord does provide for us and we have the blessing of hearing that good news from one another. Now, as Elisha stays with that family numerous times, eventually he, he asks essentially why. I mean, what, what's the point of all this? You've, done, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Elisha wants to repay her for her kindness, her hospitality. Before we get to that, Gehazi is mentioned here. For the first time in the book, he's going to get mentioned in the next five chapters 14 times. So he's got a role to play as a servant of, of Elisha. Elisha assumes a possible desire of hers, and so he asks if he can speak to the king or the army commander. She doesn't want anything to do with that. She wants to remain with her own people. That's a rejection of power, right? An opportunity to ask in the kingdom for whatever she wants or, or to talk to the military and get them to do for her something she wants, and she's willing to pass by those opportunities. This is good. That's respectable. Elisha doesn't know what to do. He asks Gehazi. Gehazi points out that she is without child. She has not had a son. There's no one to carry on the family for them. Or with her elderly husband, if he dies, there's no one to care for her in that years to come. And so Elisha calls her in and promises her a son. This time next year. So a year out, she will have a son. 
She couldn't believe that promise. Now, here's one that you can talk about with your kids. Who else received a similar promise from God of a son that they would have and had trouble believing the promise? Two examples. Abraham, well, Abram and Sarai in the Old Testament. God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah as a reminder, a daily reminder to them of the promise that he has made them, that they will have a son who will become many nations. And also in the New Testament, John the Baptist, as the angel visits Zechariah, who's serving as a priest in the temple, and Zechariah can't, can't wrap his mind around how he and his wife in their old age are going to have a child, a son. So a couple of examples your kids could connect with, you can connect with, with your children here. As Elisha said, so it happened. She bore a son. That's our second miracle in the text. As the boy ages a little bit, he's still young, right? It says when the child had grown, but he he goes out to his father among the reapers, so he's not old enough that he's working in the field with dad yet. He's also young enough that mom can carry him, as we see later in the chapter. But he has some kind of an ailment, right? We're not told what. Oh, my head, my head. That could be any number of medical problems. But he dies. The dad's unaware of it because after saying that, he, you know, he went back to mom. And what does mom do? She lays him on Elisha's bed. And then she leaves, right? She asks her husband permission. He's confused. Why, why will she go to Elisha today? And he says it's neither new moon nor Sabbath. Those are times of worship, times of uh, prayer, perhaps even thinking of bringing an offering before Elisha. But it's not time for any of that. And so maybe she lies. I say maybe she lies. I mean, clearly in English it looks like a lie, right? All is well. All's not well. Her son is dead. But... If she has faith that God is going to restore her son to her, which is obviously a miracle, but it's a miracle that really doesn't have the predecessor, right? As Christians, in hindsight, we look at the scriptures and we know God can raise the dead. But how often has this really happened? This isn't common, certainly, but this is even a miracle that's probably unheard of for her. But she trusts. We get that kind of a message about Abraham with Isaac, that he was willing to sacrifice Isaac when God commanded him to to do so, even though the promise of, of the blessing to Abraham was through this son Isaac. Because Isaac, according to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Abraham, sorry, believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. So there are some some wondrously faithful people in the Old Testament uh, examples of this. So it might not be a lie that she's speaking. She might have faith that transcends just the simple English grammar here. Those are your two options. Now, verse 25, she sets out for Mount Carmel, which is about 25 miles to the west. Gehazi goes out to meet her at Elisha's command, is all well with you, and she says, all is well. So the same statement, 27, when she comes to Elisha, she throws herself down at his feet and she she just grabs on. This is a position we actually see in the New Testament as well. 
um, Mary Magdalene does this with the risen Christ. She wraps herself around his feet. Now, here, it becomes immediately obvious to Elisha that all is not well. Something has occurred, and by her reaction, by her action, he quickly makes the connection that her son is dead. He doesn't even have to ask. He simply hears her say, Did I ask for a son? And he sends Gehazi with his staff to heal the boy. Gehazi is to lay his staff on the child. That should do the trick. (laughs) Maybe. It doesn't. We'll come to that. Verse 30, She said to Elisha, As Yahweh lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Elisha said that to Elijah back in chapter 2 when Elijah was preparing to ascend into heaven to be taken up. So, very similar uh, statement here that we see. Gehazi tries what Elisha tells him to do, but nothing happens. And he returns with a message, the child has not awakened. So Elisha goes, he comes into the house, and he does this face-to-face thing. That's the way the text reads. He lays on top of this child. Their noses are touching, their eyes are touching. You know, they're just, hands are touching. Everything's lined up. And then he gets up, he paces once, he comes back, he does it again, right? He stretches himself out upon the child, and the child sneezes seven times. I'm picturing that happening in his face, right? If a kid has ever sneezed in your face, seven times. And he opens his eyes. The son is alive. Elisha, by the miracle grace of God, has raised the dead. He returns that boy to her, to his mother. Verse 38, so we've got three miracles in now. Elisha goes to Gilgal, which is one of the stops he had with Elijah down south uh, quite a bit by the bottom of the Jordan River. And at this time, there's a famine. And so as he sends a man out, one of the sons of the prophets, to make a meal for all the prophets, He goes out into the field, he gathers ingredients, he comes back, he chops them up, he makes a stew. Not knowing what they were, he doesn't realize he's grabbed something that's not something they should eat that would make them sick and kill them. Pours it out, and they realize it. Some of them realize this and say, oh man of God, there is death in the pot, and they can't eat it. What a waste, right, in the midst of a famine. And Elisha takes flour, puts it in the pot, and a miracle. Everything's Okay, everything's good. It's good for food. It's good for nourishment to the body. Now, four miracles at this point. You can pick up on the flour idea, right? What do we make from flour? The most common thing is bread, right? How is bread connected to life? So flour made this stew a life-giving thing rather than a life-taking thing. We think of bread giving life through Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. He says that himself in John's gospel. We think of the bread that is in the Lord's Supper, that is Christ's very body given for us, that gives us forgiveness in life. Lastly, miracle number five today. A man comes from Baal Shalishah, which is 15 miles to the northwest of Gilgal, and he's bringing a food offering to the prophet from the first fruits of his own. 
And Elisha says, give it to the men. He's going to feed the sons of the prophets with this food. But his servant, so not the man, it appears the man may have already left at this point. The servant says, how can this feed a hundred men? And Elisha tells him to do it anyway and says, thus says Yahweh. So here's a prophecy. God is speaking. This is going to happen. They shall eat and have some left. And they did. They ate and they had some left. Easy connection. New Testament. Who does, who does this? Where do we see this happen? Jesus does this twice, right? Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, where he's got just a couple loaves of bread, a couple of fish, depending on the account, uh, if it's the five or the 4,000 people that he feeds. And he's got seven baskets full of leftovers, or 12 baskets full of leftovers, again, depending on which account you're in. There's more food left over than they started with. So you see the raising of the dead, you see the, the, the use of bread, you see the, the multiplication of food, really even the multiplication of oil kind of has a mirror maybe in the, in the wine multiplication at the wedding. So many of the miracles we see Elisha perform here in the Old Testament are a foreshadowing of what's going to happen with Jesus in the New. 